Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Tuesday night edition of the pod. I'm glad that we waited until tonight to record. If you're wondering our thoughts on Boston and Philly, those are coming later in the show. But first, we had to get to this classic game one in Toronto. Cavaliers 113, Raptors 112. And we will get into the very end of this game. We'll do our signature play-by-play breakdowns. But just overall, after this game, how does this leave you thinking about the series? Like, what observations can we take away from this one? After every single game that Indiana won of their first round series against Cleveland, or sorry, every game Cleveland won, we talked about how Indiana could have, you know, what what would kind of haunt them about it. It was a game that they could have won. And all of that was just prologue. All of that was just leading into this one where I thought overall, you know, there were, there were certainly some positives that Cleveland can take away from this game. But overall, this was, I would expect that this could be the worst game Cleveland plays in this entire series. And yet, despite it being on the road against an amped up crowd, a lot of different Raptors, I thought, did some positive things things out there Cleveland still comes away with the win I would draw a distinction and I'm not saying that you felt that there was a difference in the series or not it wasn't clear on what you were saying exactly but to me I felt like in those games that Indiana lost that I still came away thinking that they were the better team and that they were playing better in the series I did not feel that way about the Raptors certainly they led throughout much of the night they looked good early but Cleveland got up 35 three-point attempts Kyle Korver got 12 three-point attempts in this game J.R. Smith got six although he was five out of six obviously those guys combined for 10 of Cleveland's 14 three-point makes and while Kevin Love continues to really struggle and it's unclear we'll talk more about him he's going to be an asset in this series I thought that it just looked like Cleveland was playing better their offense was flowing better after the first quarter and I didn't feel like the Raps really have the solution to stop this Cavaliers team, despite the fact that I thought they did a pretty decent job on LeBron James. I thought they did as well. And yeah, I, I actually, well, so or, or, it's let, not let as change, severe let me, let as... Let me rephrase that, actually. Sure. I thought that OG Ananobi in one, there in we one go. On one defense on LeBron James did a good <laughs> job. The rest of it, it didn't really look that good when they were able to do something other than just trying to have LeBron ISO. Right. And I, I think that's an important distinction to make. But the really, the, I think what leads to it is was not as severe as you were mentioning that the Pacers, as the Pacers, the Pacers outplayed the Caps. I'm not sure that the Raptors really did in this game. I thought a lot of it was also Cleveland shots in the early part of it, just not falling. You know, they were getting some, getting some. But what, uh, what justified that statement for me was the way that the Raptors were exploiting Kevin Love early and Valanchunas was just beasting on him, especially in the first quarter. Yeah. Eventually that 
that advantage was mitigated by just playing Kevin Love in a different role. You know, I thought Tristan Thompson did a nice job overall in this game. Also hit all four of his free throws, which was significant. And so the Raptors had some advantages that ended up, you know, not fully materializing. And also, you know, this isn't necessarily playing well or playing badly necessarily, but, you know, LeBron will not go 12 of 30 from the field very often, one of eight from three, and miss five of his six free throws. I mean, there was that crazy stretch in the Pacer series where he hit like 22 in a row or whatever that was. So I don't think that you can walk away from this game beyond all the other obvious historical reasons. For the Raptors feeling as good as maybe the Pacers could have from some of their early losses in that Cavs series of, hey, we can hang with these guys. Because this was a game that, to me, Toronto, whether or not you say they should have won it, they certainly had plenty of chances to win it. Well, and now they've also lost the home court advantage. And Cleveland has been an absolute house of horrors for Toronto. Even this season, it was and that's a a major concern and i think uh you know you can take a little heart jr smith has not been playing this well for him to have 20 points five six on threes for jeff green to have 13 points in the first half and and 16 overall on eight shooting possessions probably not going to happen again uh they did give up nine offensive rebounds in 26 minutes to tristan thompson that's not very good and i think that's something that is going to continue to be an issue with the level of help that they have to have they had no answers for the lebron pick and roll with a small corver smith like that's how they got that lead in the overtime which we'll talk more about um i do think though that toronto can take heart that derozan looked pretty good you know i I think that they really should have almost gone to him more that he almost wasn't aggressive enough at times he passed up a couple of big shots late where i thought he he had the advantage on smith uh and they can take heart from how well og did i mean the first thing you have to do against lebron is all right we got to have someone who can guard him that he can't just like put under the goal and we have to double team every single time he posts up and og to me i mean i can't remember just a pure wing guarding lebron who in a playoff series who is as strong as him and we've seen like a pj tucker or you know maybe draymond or something but you know Ananobi is really like a wing defensively and LeBron really I'm not going to say that he couldn't move him but he was not able to move him as easily as he normally can oh sorry the cat just got up he was he was on my lap he's gonna have to get (laughs) deposited on the ground here uh yeah sorry you were saying and that's also part of why I got really frustrated during the fourth quarter in this game when LeBron is playing and they often had Pascal Siakam on LeBron and Siakam's playing shooting uh, playing small forward it's not like they were big or some sort of weird alignment or something else like that it's like okay you have one guy who's done a pretty good job on LeBron I would say a very good job overall you know in those one-on-one circumstances OG ended up because the game went to overtime he went all the way to 30 minutes but strike while the iron is hot you know you have a guy who's who's done a nice job here have him out there for these moments especially because Ananobi doesn't shoulder a big offensive burden so I'm not nearly as worried about him tiring out in that same sense of you know like we've said John Wall you don't want to burn the candle at both ends with him he's a point guard he has the ball in his hands all the time Ananobi his job is to slow down LeBron James if he's doing well you want him out there for more than 25 minutes in regulation yeah I couldn't agree more bringing him back in with only four minutes remaining in regulation playing Siakam at the three with Ibaka and JV really seemed like a a losing strategy offensively and then for Cleveland 
they went back to Kevin Love at center. I think the reason they did that is they thought that they could put Valanciunas into some difficulty, but Valanciunas completely won his matchup with Love. He was killing him in the post. Uh, pick and roll defense love wasn't able to really do anything either so they went to tristan thompson and they also went with just playing jeff green at center as well and that's really how they got back in the game in the second quarter love uh, ended up with five fouls he actually ended up sitting out and i'm not sure again that he was that positive of a player in this game but i think they probably need to start thompson going forward uh with as well as he played he makes their defense a lot better gives them a a lot more switchability and for love i mean it really the only explanation that i can come up with for how poorly he's played in these playoffs is that that left thumb injury is killing him and people might say and here's some stats on that i didn't look this up as of the end of the game but i don't think he took any inside shots he actually made one hook shot after i looked this up but as like middle of the game i looked it up he was six out of 18 at the rim and three out of 14 from floater zone which is usually like his jump hook which is a reliable shot for him and you know some people might say oh come on it's your left thumb like what does that have to do he's shooting all these shots right hand well number one if you can't shoot a shot left-handed you have to bring your right hand back into the defense more often that's difficult but number two imagine like just do this exercise at home just like imagine that your right thumb is taped to your index finger right it's just useless now if you try to bring the ball up and put it into your right hand you're not going to have the control to put it into your right hand and so you won't have as good of a grip on the ball as you try to go up with that right hand that's what i have no idea whether that's what it is but i and he's not the most athletic guy in the world but for him to be shooting this poorly like that there has to be some kind of an injury component i would imagine well, you also see it on other plays, like where Love, he, like he sometimes he tries to get a rebound and it slips out a little bit or tries to make a pass and the, the touch on it isn't quite right. I mean, I think you see it in a lot of other elements as well. I mean, his defense sucks for other reasons, but I can, I, I notice it, it, it seems to me like it's affecting him. And a lot of times with these kinds of injuries, the player won't, won't make excuses. You just kind of go, well, that's the way it is. But I, I do think that it has been affecting him. And the idea behind starting Love at center with Valanciunas was, was a sound one that he would take Valanciunas out of his comfort areas that maybe JV wouldn't be able to exploit Love's defensive issues and in, in that's like strongly enough to, to justify that sort of a change that logic was sound that logic ended up not holding at least for this game and they have enough options you know with Tristan Thompson to, to make this work and then some of the weaknesses in their perimeter rotation actually get get muted a little bit which can be a positive thing for Cleveland something else that I think is very interesting and potentially significant be beyond some of the other guys on the I'm calling them the February 8th crew the guys that Cleveland added on the trade deadline not having bad nights Larry Nance didn't have a night because Larry Nance did not play in this game yeah they traded a first rounder basically for Larry Nance I mean I guess you could also say and in fact you'd make the argument that they valued Larry Nance more than a first rounder because they also took on a bad contract in Clarkson maybe they just weren't smart enough to realize that that was a bad contract I think they are uh, coming to that conclusion rather quickly in these playoffs but so and and this guy is now not playing for them you know i mean and maybe he'll play more if they start to reduce love's playing time a a little bit but he didn't really make the impact you know we thought that he was going to be running all these pick and rolls and getting up for alley oops and that just has not been the case at all partially because he hasn't really had a chance to play center with their best spacing units you know so but you know defensively he hasn't really had that much of an effect should we uh talk about the end of the game just briefly before that i mentioned LeBron having you know
know, a, a rougher night from the field than you expect. 12 for 30, just to run through it briefly. Six of eight in the restricted area. Sure, that that's strong for LeBron. Yeah, and if you but, want to add in... only eight shots of his 30 in the restricted area. I mean, you remember in that's that Pacers true. series, I mean, he shot... <laughs> he had 11 yeah, in the first shot half. every single one of his shots in a half in the restricted area. Yes, and then, so LeBron... And, and free throws, too. Also, six yeah, free throws. Yeah. yeah, yeah, six free throw attempts in the whole game. Missed five of those six. He was a similar or an identical one of six in floater range more shots than than usual from there also lower success rate four of eight from mid-range yeah that's you know in 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 the area for lebron but then one of eight on above the break threes and so the proportions as you mentioned that i think that's somewhat significant you know that it's basically even between all four zones and that he you know that he wasn't making the shots from floater range which you'd expect to go in a little bit more in threes to go in more than one for eight for sure yeah and, and as you mentioned i think we both expect him to shoot better as this series goes along let's talk about the end of the game now we can pick it up here and there are some incredible sequences before this there was valentunas missing like three straight tippins and then getting fouled and then missing another shot on the immediately ensuing possession you know it definitely felt like toronto had their chances but wasn't getting them and uh, we'll pick it up with 152 remaining. And that's when Serge Ibaka, Raps are only up one. Cleveland still had never led, I think, at this point. Ibaka gets a three-shot foul. We didn't even see where the foul occurred, but LeBron, as he planted to actually go run back for the rebound after contesting Ibaka's shot, put his foot out and Ibaka came down, slightly sprained his ankle and uh, committed a clear foul. So Ibaka makes all three. Raptors by four. Of course, that was their last score in regulation uh they cleveland came down and pretty quickly attacked this is they started going to the pick and roll with corver and lebron and Ananobi and one of his few mental errors another one he gave up an alley-oop for an and one off an inbounds earlier in the game doesn't force corver to use the screen and especially when it's a shooter you and you're going to be hedging you have to force him to use the screen because otherwise there's going to be nobody behind you and that's exactly what happened uh and lebron's able to get right to the rim there was no help available so that got him within two and, and feel free to break in if you have anything to add on any of these danny um yeah of next course. time down demar Derozan pick and roll with corver's man i thought that actually worked really well he gets into the lane gets abaco wide open left corner three that missed and that basically could have ended the game and love gets a great rebound among like four guys and but then you know because he can't hold the ball with that left hand he has to kind of put it in like you know like he's a running back receiving the handoff and may have traveled uh then he clearly gets fouled by Derozan. Derozan has like an arm on his back but love then has to start like swinging his elbows or feels like he has to uh and he just clocks DeRozan right in the jaw I think it probably should have been a foul on DeRozan before it even got to that point but it ends up being a turnover however because Love actually had possession it wasn't a loose ball foul it just ended up being a, a turnover if it had been a loose ball foul DeRozan gets two free throws out of that that could have been huge yeah. And they also could have theoretically reviewed it for being something greater than that. It wasn't it was an elbow that hit a guy in the jaw. We've seen plays like that get reviewed. And, you know, I think the overall outcome was kind of in the realm. I agree with you that DeRose, a DeRozan foul would have been the most equitable. Love would have never swung his elbows had they called the original foul and there was an original yeah, foul. And, and, and so, if, you're, if you're just going to let people foul him over and over again as and try to take the ball away and get him in a jump ball, like what choice does he have but to start swinging? around like that uh yeah I, I agree with that but so then the raptors get the ball back and but that but they don't get free throws and i'm sure they would have rather had free throws especially for DeRozan, than what ended up happening 
yeah as it turned out oh oh the other crazy play that was before this time frame that i wanted to mention i forgot that it was before this was lowry getting hung up after derozan missed ibaka wide open for a three early in the possession he ended up having to throw it out lowry gets hung up he calls timeout with two on the shot clock that's one of their two remaining timeouts uh under three minutes this is with like 227 remaining and then they instantly get a five second violation <laughs> don't even get the ball in although yeah it was completely insane it was a good job by lowry not compounding the error by calling another timeout because they couldn't get the ball in bounds and <laughs> using their last timeout for to preserve a two second on the shot clock opportunity but uh yeah that was uh that wasn't the greatest execution in the world there but so the raptors uh, run some time down lowry has to go to a pull-up over lebron i thought that lebron guarding Lowry down the end LeBron had a couple of plays on Lowry in the third quarter or actually no I'm sorry it was late in the first half where Lowry tried to drive on him in transition one time he just got stopped and then turned it over another time he tried to drive past him got past him but then was so worried about the block LeBron didn't even really jump on either of those and then he just like threw it off the backboard for his layup and so it seems clear that Lowry was a little bit intimidated of trying to attack LeBron and Lowry's not really a great one-on-one player at this stage either uh so he misses that and then James tries to back in on Ananobi doesn't really get anywhere and just makes an impossible right shoulder fade away to tie it up at 105 and then you get into one of the more interesting decisions you and I did not watch this game together and I was kind of wondering how you thought about it because I when Toronto didn't call a timeout I started clapping and I said good job Toronto just run through it and there were two reasons why I felt that way one is we know that all of the guys Toronto is going to run their offense through are already on the floor because, you know, Lowry draws, they could have put in, and they did put in support players on that. But the second part, which I thought was significantly more important is, you know, Cleveland's going to use a timeout after this. So if you call a timeout, Cleveland is going to put in all of their defensive personnel and the difference between Cleveland's personnel to tie the game versus their defensive personnel was more significant than the difference for Toronto. Well, well, I, I thought at the time it was a good use of the timeout because there's no chance that Toronto was going to need it later, right? This was going to be their last possession. They weren't going to need it to advance the ball because there was only a six second differential. Number two, I thought it was important to use the timeout to just call something where you make sure you get in your players' heads. We got to run the time down here as much as possible. And I did think that like getting Ananobi out of the game, uh, they had Je- Valanciunas in the game, but they put in Van Vliet. Uh, I thought that the space that they had really allowed them to get that great shot that they did i mean you can't argue that it didn't work i mean they got a wide open shot to win the game and then they got a bunch of tips oh i agree with all that so i I agree that getting cleveland getting their defensive replacements in the game was helpful um but i you know i I didn't think there was a clear-cut answer either way especially when you throw in the fact that I mean, they didn't really have any advantage in tradition, right? He didn't call the timeout until they tried to push it up, as I recall, a little bit. But you're always yeah, that's yeah. right. They 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 didn't really use they didn't really push yeah. it up with any real force there, but they didn't have any right. advantage. And, and you got to run the time down in that situation anyway. So I think I think that's sure. the biggest thing was just making sure that your players know, hey, we have to run the time down here. Um, and they they got a nice play too. They're able to get DeRozan off a double screen onto George Hill. They had switched LeBron onto DeRozan but that got switched off and then DeRozan had Hill beat but he kind of fumbled it and then help came but they were able to get the pass to Van Vliet who was wide open the top uh 
and he just missed the three you know he was seen earlier in the game with ice on that injured shoulder talking to the trainer his shot really was not that close um they also had cj miles in the game so i I mean i i can't think of who else i would have rather had in there if i were the raptors at that point van vliet's an excellent three-point shooter so then derozan got a tip valentunas got a tip derozan tip almost went in valentunas's tip with the left hand it looked like it was going to go in Cleveland finally gets the rebound with 0.6 left. I thought at this point, with that little time remaining, they're clearly going to inbound it to James. And I didn't really care for the Raptors strategy. They had Valanchunas on the inbounder. And while people are always criticized, okay, you know, you have to like pressure the inbounder more. You know, I think when you're going full court, it matters a little bit more. Uh, But, and when the other team might actually throw it more than just the obvious place to LeBron, you know, it's going to LeBron. So I think I would have rather just brought in someone more mobile and then double teamed lebron because he got a screen lowry was on him lowry is already too small and then lebron just ghosted lowry with a cut got wide open and, and he also put he also pushed <laughs> off but he but it still it was it was within the yeah. it was within the realm that you would all, never ever all, ever call an offensive foul. like that have a have a push off at him i mean spoken like a true chicago native my friend uh yeah well chicago is on the losing end of one of those in 1998 as well reggie that's Moore also true game four against the Pacers mm-hmm. uh but anyway yeah and I think LeBron he just really rushed it with 0.6 uh if I you have time I think really to shoot your normal shot in that situation just ask Chris Middleton about that uh, but he missed it we go into overtime and then Cleveland got out to an early lead they got two open threes one for Corver and then one for Smith out of James Corver pick and roll putting DeRozan in pick and roll and the Raps were not interested in switching DeRozan onto LeBron understandably so because DeMar DeRozan can't guard LeBron and I've always thought that teams should go after DeRozan more than they do uh and they had DeRozan guarding Corver I think that I would much rather go after DeRozan than Lowry teams usually go after Lowry when they try small small pick and rolls against the Raptors and it worked exceedingly well yeah it did and it resulted in those those two threes by by Corver and, and Smith and it was also weird because there were there were a couple of these kind of awkward plays in the sequence I thought overall in the overtime with the exception of those two threes early on the Raptors got cleaner looks than Cleveland did but what Cleveland accomplished and I think the best representation of this was maybe even Tristan Thompson pulling that offensive rebound out of nowhere yeah. though they didn't end up scoring because OG had a great great play was that Cleveland did a better job of kind of scrapping and, and getting the extra opportunities that are necessary in an overtime well they did end up scoring actually that the James OG played great defense on the James air ball but then Thompson oh that's Thompson right it, under the it was it was the next and by the way yeah it was the next one where he dribbled it eight times that they didn't right, right. score and, and then there was another one after that where Corver had a missed three and the Raptors just like two Raptors came together and lost it out of bounds that cost them another 24 seconds down the end too uh the Raps were down down four mostly overtime they managed to get back within one after the one transition play after james missed a sweeping hook and really anytime james misses a layup that's really your chance to run because james is their best rim protector and and he missed quite a few layups or or short shots more from floater zone in, in this game but you know plays where he's going to the rim he couldn't get all the way there so they actually ran it up they got love guarding lowry in transition lowry went right by him and scored uh spring within one i thought that 
after the Raptors lost it out of bounds, Cleveland tried to run the time down. They tried to get the Corver pick and roll with James, but with only six on the shot clock, the Raps actually changed up their strategy. They were able to get defense replacements in the game. They still had DeRozan out there, but he was able to actually just switch on to James. It was late enough that James couldn't use his size against him, and James had to really force up a shot that missed. Uh, and there ended up being a shot clock violation which set up the last play yeah and, and i i thought the last play it led into something that has become so strange to see as frequently as we do which is this robotic idea of seeking out the switch yes because and and yeah if it had been kevin love sure by all means kevin love atrocious generally except for game seven of the 2016 nba finals generally not great in terms of those i, I will say this about love as a quick aside when they actually switched a lot even with love when the raps had their bench unit out there with out Lowry and DeRozan I thought he mm-hmm. actually held up just fine there yeah, he did. that unit just doesn't have enough one-on-one creative I think actually the switching looked good against those guys but the, sorry for that uh non sequitur no no that, that's fine because that because that wasn't the issue on on this last possession with the Raptors down one instead they robotically tried to get the switcher Tristan Thompson who considering his aptitude as a switch defender you could argue was the better matchup or at least that it wasn't worth taking the time to create that situation well and I think it's just not understanding what the strengths of DeMar DeRozan are really like DeMar DeRozan doesn't blow by guys right he uses his size he uses his craft he gets into position and he likes to play over the top of guys and so why wouldn't you just let him go at J.R. Smith as opposed to like I think he has much more of an advantage on Smith than Thompson but it's, oh it's a big man but like you know Tristan Thompson is a really really good switch defender maybe not quite as good now as he was in his heyday a couple years ago but he looked pretty close to the same player that he has been uh and i thought that eventually as derozan worked into position on thompson if he gets there on smith he's able to rise up over the top of smith and instead he has to kind of pick it up pump fake and jeff green did a really nice job of helping on derozan taking him off of that jumper that he wanted to shoot and then green still was able to get a great closeout on van fleet and force the miss and uh it was game over yeah, so I mean, this is a it's a really debilitating loss for the Raptors for a series of different reasons. I mean, as you said, one of the most important is losing home court. They were the number one. They are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. One of the advantages there is that you get home court in every series, and now that advantage isn't there. So they have to win at least one game in Cleveland. They can. This is the best. Still, to me, the best of the Raptors teams that has faced Cleveland in the playoffs. But they have to do that, and they can't lose another game home. Otherwise, they have to win at least two games in Cleveland. And also that a lot, a lot of the Cavs. I mean, I think they'll they'll play better. You, you're right to mention that Jeff Green, Jr., and we'll see with Tristan. I mean, at least on the offensive glass, I wouldn't expect him to have that kind of a game. But Love can play better, or at least they can use him in a better role. LeBron will be more efficient with his shots, and maybe they'll finally learn. Hey, let's play a little bit less Jordan Clarkson because Jordan Clarkson, when LeBron is on the floor, especially. But anyway, he's just not providing much value because he just thinks every shot is a good shot. All right, anything else on this game, or should we move on here to Warriors Pals? I think that's a, a, a about enough there. All right, well, uh, first I want to tell you about RX Bar before we talk Warriors Pals. It's actually my favorite protein bar that I've had. It's made out of whole foods. They've got egg whites for protein, dates to bind it, nuts for texture. It tastes much better than your normal protein bar, where you really kind of just wonder what this, like, half-solid concrete is that you're eating. All of the core ingredients are labeled right on the front of the pack. They have a bunch of 
bunch of great flavors 11 to be exact they're all gluten gluten free soy free dairy free and free of any added sugar artificial colors and flavors preservatives or fillers you can actually taste the real fruit and the spices sweet or savory chocolate or fruit flavors there's an rx bar for you you can get 25 percent off your first order via the link rxbar.com slash cap space easy remember slash cap space we talk about all the time on the program and then for good measure enter the promo code cap space at checkout double cap space for this one that's rxbar.com slash cap space promo code cap space they'll give you 25 percent off your first order and of course let them know that you came from us well clearly the big story here was the return of steph curry how did he look to you in this game when a player comes back after missing you know an extended period of time doesn't have to be five weeks could be three or whatever i i generally look at kind of three different areas one of them in in the case of a lower body injury is just movement are they moving quickly cutting all that kind of stuff and i thought curry looked pretty good not unbelievable but i actually thought he looked more fluid tonight than he did in the first even the the rest of that first round against portland when he came back from the grade one MCL sprain in the 2016 playoffs. So that part was a, you know, that was, it was a positive, but not a strong positive. Then the other two areas are stamina and rust. And I thought there were certain moments in this game when Curry looked a little bit gassed, especially I think it was in the second half. Yeah. He played, right he was right playing he came in that stint. Like about five minutes left in third. Yeah. He just, he just looked like he lost it a little bit in terms of that. He still played well, obviously, but he, um, you know, it, it, you, you could tell it had been a little while since he had played with that kind of an exertion for that period of time and then the other one is rust and the reason why i go in that order is because and he and he looked rusty at moments in this game the reason you go in that order is because it's an order of importance and how long you expect for those things to wear off so rust comes pretty quickly you know next game full practices all that sort of stuff stamina could take a week or two or whatever whatever depending on the injury we saw this with joel Embiid as well and you know really struggled with stamina stuff in that first game back and then eventually he got you know a little bit closer and then movement can linger because if it's not there at the beginning, it's a little bit, it, it takes longer. So I would say overall, Curry looked better than I expected. And part of the reason why is because it was more in those later two, which are much more manageable than the first one, though it's not like he was exactly the same guy from a movement standpoint, which parallels what happened the last time Curry came back for an MCL sprain. I'll provide color on yeah. that. So basically, for those who don't remember, it's funny because as somebody who who has who even talked about this in, in, the, in my book, of course, that last time curry came back from his mcl sprain he also came off the bench but that game went to overtime and curry actually set the nba record for points scored in an overtime so everybody's like oh he's back he's back and you and i actually cautioned on the podcast saying well his shot is is looking good but that wasn't that that wasn't all of what steph curry is and i think that is still true here though i do think he looked better physically than that night yeah i mean the the couple things you mentioned the rust he did have six turnovers although two of those were in the really weird time late when the Warriors gave up all of a 14 point lead pretty much in the last two minutes of the game because New Orleans was pressing and they just like kept turning it over and giving up threes uh I mean it never got back to where New Orleans having a chance to tie but they're actually within I think it was uh five points at, at one point but Steph you know he had some turnovers I thought that like one play that showed the rust a little bit was he tried to go for a lefty floater that Anthony Davis just rejected you know I think that's kind of just not having that great of a memory for the speed of the game and what you can get away with you know those are the type of things that can show up with rust but oh yeah by the way 28 points on 18 shooting possessions and five of 10 from three did a nice job of drawing some bs fouls to get to the foul line as well 
uh not that they weren't fouls one of them was a little dubious on rondo but you know he plays where he's able to just like get guys in the air and get fouled and he until that last jag of turnovers and weird presses and nobody like he had plays where he would like dribble the ball in the front court and then like everyone else would still be in the backcourt and he just had no one to throw it to uh he would have been plus 34 ended plus 26 in those 27 minutes i suspect Kerr said early, oh, he's not going to be on minutes limit. But the fact that he was brought off the bench, that he played exactly 27 minutes, seemed, uh, you know to indicate that there was a minutes limit and he just didn't tell us about it yeah there wasn't a formally published one like a road sign but there was an idea and another way of kind of talking about curry's impact in this game and normally you don't want to talk about this with a single player but i think it, it it's at least somewhat applicable in this case in curry's 27 minutes the warriors had a 130 offensive rating including the turnover palooza at the end of the game in the 21 minutes curry did not play the warriors posted an offensive rating of 72 7 yeah and he got up 10 three-point attempts uh clay got up 11 katie got up seven and the 35 three-point attempts they had that with nine minutes remaining in the game that was more than they'd had in any game since steph's injury and, and they finished it with 40 13 out of 40 which wasn't a great percentage although both teams shot it much better in the second half um so and then it was also the fact that they had started iguodala and steph's own rust pattern being a little different meant that kerr was able to go to the death lineup for the last seven minutes of the game and that was just completely unguardable down the end uh kd to use a, a favorite phrase of yours was just ball racking whoever had him uh, was guarding him on the pels they started double teaming kd and as soon as they did that they helped off a of draymond so draymond just went and set a screen for staff and got him a wide open three kd even hit a ridiculous right shoulder fadeaway over two guys including anthony davis uh kd had struggled he only had 14 points on 17 shots going into the fourth but then he had 15 of his own in the fourth quarter finishing with 29 and ultimately an efficient game much will be made of course of the pels free throwing seven of nine drew holiday and anthony davis combined for 24 shots and zero free throw attempts i actually no one was asking questions of the pels guys i think everyone had left already so i i figured i should probably ask a few and, and uh the first thing I asked them about was that free throw disparity, and here's what they had to say. Uh, zero free throw attempts for uh, Anthony and Drew tonight. Uh, do you guys feel that you need to get to the line more? <coughs> Is it that you're getting fouled and they're not calling it, or do you guys need to attack harder? Yeah, I guess it's on. I mean, I mean, we... I don't think I shot that many jumpers tonight. I don't think Drew shot that many. Um, we both attacking the basket, you know. Uh, 48 FGAs, you know, both of those guys shot the ball combined 48 times. Um, you know, I think we were attacking just as they were. Uh, a couple, a lot, however you want to put it, didn't go our way, but uh, that's not an excuse. Like I said, we, we got the shots we wanted. Uh, our guys were aggressive, and, you know, things are turned, hopefully for the better in game three. So, Danny, with them saying, you know, implying, hey, you know what, we're driving to the rim, we're not taking jumpers, did you see a lot of plays that, were borderline where you felt like they were getting fouled and weren't getting the call not particularly i on drives you know maybe a couple i mean you see that all the time but i i didn't i wasn't struck by any particular player i mean ad had a had a couple of plays that were maybe maybe a little bit there but andrew you know he had a couple of drives but no i I didn't see it that way and there were times i thought that the pelicans got a rough whistle you know the disparity is not only that they took nine free throw attempts but that the warriors took 27 there were a couple you mentioned the one curry that when he was fouled by rondo that was a little bit dubious 
But overall, and this is very unusual for the Warriors, I thought the Warriors were the more aggressive team for most of it. And so I think they got some of the benefit of the officiating in that way that they almost never do. Yeah, you know, I don't remember thinking at the time that like, oh man, these guys are getting murdered in the paint. They can't go. I mean, there was one uh, where AD went up for an alley-oop, but that had been preceded by Draymond Green getting kind of a dubious foul, which was a non-shooting foul when Rondo tried to throw a half-court alley-oop to AD. Um so and yeah you know you're taking some shots in the paint not necessarily at the rim as much though but both holiday and ad a lot of those shots are shots that they're taking over a good contest and not necessarily even a help contest right it's okay you got into the lane but now you're kind of shooting like a floating a floater or ad in particular shooting that floater going to his left you know that's not really like a a shot that you're necessarily drawing a foul on you know that's not really hey we're going up just like so strong through the defense here um on those plays i thought that looney did a fantastic job without following he played great individual defense on ad again and, and the big difference for ad in this series versus the portland series is you know generally he's having to iso a lot more and he's not the greatest iso guy in the world right i mean he's he's a decent jump shooter he's got that drive to his left but he always has to bring it back to his right hand he's got good touch on his floaters but he's not really strong enough to move guys um in the post you know that that's really where looney can be beaten in the post but uh he's not really strong enough to move looney and looney has good length to contest some of those floaters that he takes so you know the blazers series they're playing conventional pick and roll defense and he's just getting alley-oops and he's getting pick and pop jumpers against nurkic whenever he wants to you know this is not the same animal there and holiday too you know he's being guarded by kevin durant you know and kevin durant uh can lay off him a little bit more still contest his jump shot holiday had a really nice first half but then was off in the second or he's being guarded by clay thompson who he's one of the few guys that he's not strong enough to just go right through um so i really didn't see like that many you know if, if you can say hey they took all these shots they should get fouled more but you don't have a god given right to just get a certain number of foul calls like you have to actually be fouled and i'm hard pressed to remember the actual plays on which they were fouled I and mean, maybe someone if someone wants to tweet me because certainly Pels fans were very enamored of my tweet where I just simply noticed that they'd taken 48 uh, field goal attempts and zero free throws. And, you know, there's all the usual, it's rigged, blah, blah. All right, well, show me the film of all these fouls that took place where they couldn't get a call, you know, where it was so obvious. Uh, and I thought that most of the fouls that Golden State got were, were pretty obvious, especially in the second half. In the first half, which was crazy, we should talk about the first half a little more, uh, you know, both teams weren't taking any free throws at all. Uh, so, and, and they fouled a lot in the second half well and and something else that i think is really important here is that the pelicans weren't drawing fouls early in the quarters enough to get into the bonus because that's another way that you can get free throws is by you know just accumulating those i remember in the i think it was in the cleveland indiana game where part of how cleveland got you know got into a rhythm was that they got into the bonus and then indiana was committing these reaches and fouls like that so cleveland was getting to the line on non-shooting fouls that wasn't happening in this the warriors generally are pretty they, they can be a pretty reasonably low foul team if they're not doing stupid reaches. And New Orleans wasn't really taking advantage of any of that. And that was actually how the Warriors got going offensively in the second quarter of game one. They It wasn't as much of it as an emphasis here. But before we get into the first half, one thing I want to mention that I, I just can't let slide by in this game. Drew Holiday played 46 minutes and 33 seconds in this game of high intensity, a lot of times high difficulty minutes on both ends of the floor, you know, often guarded by Kevin Durant, sometimes guarding Kevin Durant. And a part 
of the reason yeah, or why. Or Steph Curry. I mean, it's like or Steph right? Curry. Like those are yeah. probably his two main matchups. Right, and so Holiday has this these incredibly high minutes, and part of the reason why they did that is because Ian Clark was just unplayable in Game One. He had to play. He played a lot in Game One, and they got killed. And so in this game, they played Rondo thirty eight minutes, played Ian Clark just six, and so Holiday had this incredible workload to do. And while you know he ended up not having his most efficient night, some of that coming, of course, from good defense and not getting to the free throw line. We already discussed that. It is incredibly impressive that he was able to to handle that kind of a burden in a game like this. Yeah, I mean, this is a player who went through years of being on minutes limits because of the stress reaction that he had uh, in his tibia. That was really good. I mean, you mentioned the first half. Clark was negative three in six minutes, but I mean, he was just getting picked on left and right. They got nothing out of Solomon Hill either. I mean, this is a guy who they thought was going to be their starting small forward. It thought was going to be the defensive solution on guys like Kevin Durant. Uh, that was is not the case and and Hill obviously is coming back from a hamstring injury but he was 0 for 3 on three just wide open three-pointers and the Warriors were just treating him like he was Rondo uh the first half was insane because it was 57 possessions the first quarter was 30 possessions it was 29 27 and both teams were below a point per possession that's how fast things started off and then 57 possessions and there were three shooting fouls called in the entire first half and part of that was just because there's it was so fast paced and both teams were just missing threes left and right they both got up more than 23 point attempts both teams were below 25 percent on those threes actually no i'm sorry that's that's not the warriors were like six to 21 um yeah the warriors were like 29 percent. yeah but nonetheless uh and both teams were getting some pretty open easy shots especially the pels i thought i mean for them to go four of 20 on threes in the first half i mean just so many open ones each uh, one more and rondo are like the only guys who can hit shots uh, finally the pels started hitting and in the second half they hit nine threes uh but uh, some of those were late after the the game had already been decided and it really uh they're gonna rue all those missed open shots because they really were running it down the warriors towards the warriors transition defense was in you know regular season form especially in the first quarter uh but the Pels just couldn't take advantage and then in the second half I think they ran out of gas pushing the ball a little bit uh, to be sure uh, Rondo though did hit three out of his four three-pointers that's been a continually interesting subplot here 22 points 12 assists he was actually plus two in the game had three offensive rebounds as well although certainly his forays to the offensive glass can give up transition opportunities as well and, and so uh the last question of the night was asked by me about rondo i wanted to know you know how he was feeling about the three-point shooting and, and the fact that they weren't guarding him so here's what, what he had to say uh, rajan you shot it well today from three-point range but it seems like it's been a strategy of theirs to leave you open you've never been a big volume three-point shooter in your career do you think you're shooting it well do you need to take more or are you just focus on playing the same way you've played throughout your career yeah, I'm just going to continue to play the way I've played my entire career. So yeah, not particularly loquacious there. Uh, I shouldn't have probably given him quite as leading of a question as I did as the last question of the night. But nonetheless, I think that's interesting because, you know, he's not going to become this high volume shooter, right? I mean, he was three out of four, but how many times was he not guarded where, you know, he passed up shots that kind of an average three-point shooter would have taken? And I mean, there is a play where Rondo was about to enter the ball to Anthony Davis, had the ball, and Draymond Green just ran away from him into the paint rondo actually hit that one 
there was another play where rondo entered the ball to davis davis ended up scoring but as soon as rondo passed it draymond just sprinted towards the paint and actually ended up contesting ad's floater which rimmed in it was a tough shot so the draymond rondo matchup i think is still working reasonably well for the warriors and that's not going away and i think you know draymond said basically rondo's a great player but no we're not going to change our strategy on him and overall until very late the pels did not score particularly well in this game and to the extent that the defense was bad it was in transition early where the matchups didn't really matter as much one other thing I wanted to make sure to mention was that there were a series of moments in this game where Anthony Davis was just everywhere defensively, where you ju- he just pop up and like the couple blocks on Curry, or he'd contest and freak a Warrior out when they were shoot- taking a shot, and he still has that crazy defensive ceiling. And it was it was kind of funny to see him and yeah, Draymond he was by doing, the end, yeah, and then the, yeah, I'm talking more of in the first yeah. half, like Davis had that, and then you saw like like I talked about with Drew Holiday, just the the perils of them needing so much from these guys because the the threshold for beating the warriors is just so high that you need you need all these players to play really well and they just didn't have enough in this one and and, you know that could certainly swing for a game or two in the series but this will be the first opportunity in the second round to say this you know the whole adage of you know a series doesn't start until the road team wins a game well if the lower seed doesn't win a game in the first two they have to win four out of five and that's real real hard and i mean with this series new orleans i absolutely think they can win a game or two for sure but it would be shocking barring significant injuries for them to actually win the overall series yeah now with steph curry the next game in the series is not until saturday uh you imagine maybe he'll still be on the minutes limit but you know maybe it gets bumped up enough to where they feel like they can start him and that will get nick young hopefully completely out of the rotation once again negative well i will know briefly the next game is next game is friday not saturday but still a a pretty good break there sure And, and for the Pels, I mean, you know, Darius Miller had 17 minutes off the bench. Everyone else was 10 or less. No starter played less than 36 minutes for the Pels. Uh, they really just do not seem to have the horses in this series. And the one time that I felt like they had like a real matchup advantage was Kerr went to Kavon Looney and David West together when AD and Miritich were in the game. And so that meant that West had to guard AD, which he's really probably too slow to do. And AD scored on him really quickly. But then, uh, you know, it was time for those guys to go out of the game. And so they had really one possession of that advantage. And other than that, I mean, there's just, there just aren't places to attack. And so even the Warriors, you know, they're able to withstand a four for 20 Clay Thompson shooting game. Like that's not going to happen again. Uh, Draymond Green is shooting it okay. I mean, he continues to just be awesome. He had 20 points. Uh, I thought a couple of things that stuck out to me about both teams, I thought at least in the first half, the Pels did a great job of slipping screens early against the Warriors switches uh and Rondo was throwing some amazing passes in that regard as well the Warriors were able to clean that up in the second half and then for the Pels I didn't really they didn't really seem to have that much of a plan against the Warriors pick and rolls whether it was KD Clay uh who actually had a very nice passing game uh or or of course Steph Curry you know whether it's coming off a screen whatever DHOs whatever that situation is where you know it's ultimately a screen is being set for a shooter so they're bringing usually it'd be ad or sometimes miritich all the way up to the level of the ball they're not switching it but they're just giving up the pocket pass way too easily to the roll man and that's a big part of how Draymond was 7-11 he got some nice dunks right to the rim 
uh or you know he would just get a free run in and then he could find Iguodala along the baseline for a dunk or something like that and so I think just they either got to trap harder so that that pocket pass isn't there the big man's got to just take a little bit different of an angle on it um and then you can at least you know force whoever it is inside the three-point line and have a a, a trail contest from behind it and you know Draymond Green as a role man is not like some big alley-oop threat where like you have to just stick close to him uh so you have the big kind of be more on the angle to where he's he's up there but he's also preventing that quick pocket pass right because when you can throw that pocket pass as both guys are still moving towards the ball I mean you're, there's just no way to get back in the play there or you maybe even just go with a little bit more conventional pick and roll defense and especially if you've got holiday on steph curry just say hey you know fight over the screen and we'll try to uh defend this but you know steph hit a couple of really deep threes i mean he, he definitely had i thought more pep in his step maybe than he did uh we'll just see what it looks like with him trying to get to the rim but he also has more craft in his game now as far as getting to the foul line and i think that's can really serve him well as he's re- trying to find his footing again here yeah, and I would expect that we will see something closer to the Warriors' normal rotations. And a, a player well, well, that you question. mentioned— Are they going to still start Iguodala? I think they've really liked his intelligence defensively. I mean, he's this been could so lead into... much better uh, in these playoffs than he was in the regular season. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so they could go in that direction. Another option would be to, to make a larger overall shift and also bring in Looney and just go to that at the beginning of the game and, and kind of go in some ways more to a traditional rotation yeah. so like what Curry's done. that would be out of the starting lineup, Curry in and yeah. Looney in and, and Young out, obviously. Yes, of course. And so, yeah, that that's one idea. I would kind of lean in that direction but generally Kerr you know he, he attributed this after the game and I my brain exploded a little bit he said oh well you know we we started Nick Young and things went so well in game one so we did it again in game two it's like yeah but Nick Young wasn't any part of what went well so that same logic could be applied to having Iguodala in the starting lineup until things get different so we'll see where it goes game five or sorry game three is on Friday and I think that'll be New Orleans' best shot. They can they can certainly put a good game together. They've had some some nice stretches in this. I mean, New Orleans has a ton of talent, but they're going to have to do it because the Warriors do not give you many chances when they're at full strength or anywhere close to it. Well, and I think if Kerr actually does start the death lineup, that's certainly what I would advocate doing against the Houston Rockets, <laughs> who you know might as well get those guys used to playing together. And especially, I think getting off to a big start, you know, that was. Some Something that Curry was talking about in the presser of like you know game three with the road crowd really fired up um anything you you could think of for adjustments for the pals here going forward at all I mean it seems like they're they're doing everything they can at this point I'd like to see them give maybe a little bit more of a shot to Darius Miller just the virtue of another guy who can hit open shots he ended up finishing this game one for three from the field with only three shots in 17 minutes so there isn't a ton to build on there but I would like to see Miller get an opportunity I I did like a lot of what Etuan Moore did I just like Etuan Moore as a player so maybe maybe sliding a little bit around there going a little bit smaller to see if see if you can make anything happen but outside of that I mean it's going to be really hard 
guard, especially, and this is a, a, a huge change, is like, let's say the starting lineup for the Warriors gets back to being incredibly efficient with Curry like they were with Curry on the floor here. It'll be harder for the Pelicans to get those opportunities to run. This is part of the idea of feedback loops is that when you have fewer opportunities to run, then it's going to be harder for the Pelicans to score and then it all goes in that direction. That's what we saw happen in the last seven minutes of the game. So I think certain elements of what New Orleans did well in this game might actually taper off if the Warriors offense gets going. You could say that maybe they should try and hit the offensive glass harder, but I mean, AD is really the main guy to do that. And he's already just, you know, completely at the end of his rope as far as, you know, what he can do from an effort standpoint. I mean, he really just could not get out on the perimeter late in the game. Maybe you could say, especially in the last 10 seconds of the shot clock, they should try and switch everything that maybe getting Darius Miller out there can help with that a little bit more but still Etwan Moore Rondo even Holiday against KD I mean KD is really the biggest antidote to the switching and we've seen KD I think this year get more comfortable especially with Curry out just rising up over the top of guys and shooting a mid-ranger and that's just been a nearly automatic shot for him this year so yeah I'm not really sure where they can go from here uh I think they can still try to push the pace i think that's a great idea i think the warriors transition defense can be vulnerable and just hope to make some some more threes and have the crowd carry you a little bit more from an effort standpoint in game three when they can new orleans should run off makes as well just to put a little bit more pressure Especially, especially a made layup um as well all right, we'll get to Philly and Boston, and we also got to talk about some of the news of the day. But first, this from Blinkus. We talk about efficiency all the time here. Well, uh, and I think even my little like Twitter ad for Dunked On says, download as much information about the NBA as you can handle directly into your brain. Well, Blinkus will do that for you in audio form by transforming over 2,000 of the best-selling nonfiction books into powerful packs you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes. And frankly, you're reading a nonfiction book to get the information so you can apply it in your life. Are you really going to remember more than 15 minutes worth of information anyway for spending hours and hours reading this book? I don't think so. You can get the two insights from two to three books just on your commute home, potentially if you have a 45 minute commute like i used to a few of the titles they have available emotional agility by susan david the worry free mind by bill wade and carol kershaw ed i have some family members who might be able to benefit from that what they don't teach you at harvard business school by mark mccormick and as i mentioned over 2000 titles in all the way to get started with them is blinkist b-l-i-n-k-i-s-t blinkist.com slash cap space to start your free trial or you get three months off on a yearly plan once again that's blinkist.com slash cap space that slash cap space url easy to remember because we talk about it all the time here on the program Blinkist.com slash Capspace. Let them know that you came from us. Let's turn now to Monday night's game. Philly and Boston did not go according to plan. I thought that the big issue would be, can the Celtics stop the Sixers? And we just kind of assumed that the Celtics were going to struggle to score against Philly. That was not the case in the slightest, as it turned out. Yeah, I mean, the Celtics posted a 122 offensive rating in this game, which is really impressive considering Philly's defense had looked pretty 
stout against the Heat. It should be noted that one of the things Boston did super well that, and this is not meant to take anything away from them, that might change is the way they attacked Marco Bellinelli. Bellinelli was truly awful in this game and awful in the ways that we would anticipate. It's just that Boston went to it more often and more successfully. So one one stat that I pulled related to that, the Sixers, so he played about 21 minutes. Actually, I think he played more than that. The Sixers had a 130 defensive rating when Bellinelli was on the floor. And then the minutes he didn't play, they had a 102 defensive rating. Yeah. And it wasn't like, oh, hey, let's just go isolate Marco Bellinelli in the post so much, although they did go to that a little bit. They were able to straight line drive him. A lot of it was just running through the course of their offense and then Bellinelli making a mistake in terms of like a, a switch or a back screen, something like that. He's actually makes a lot of bad decisions and fails to execute in addition to being limited physically. I mean, the difference between him and JJ Redick defensively, I'd say Bellinelli actually has better physical tools than Redick does. It is pretty remarkable because Redick at least rarely makes mistakes. Um, my biggest takeaway from this though was we said this a lot during the season it didn't really come up much in the Miami series and I think Miami is you know a first round playoff type of team I think everyone acknowledges that Boston while certainly they're limited offensively their defense is elite well beyond where Miami was even because they don't really have the weak links and we were so curious to see the Sixers in the playoffs this is more something we talked about you know before the last month of the season when they went on that awesome run and I think maybe we kind of forgot about this a little bit was this is a team with such of severe strengths and weaknesses right i mean we can list them off there's joel Embiid, his ability in the post he was at times unstoppable in this game ben simmons can't shoot at all amazing in transition amazing passer turns it over a lot the defense Embiid, covington simmons to a lesser degree great defensive players reddick bellinelli sarich is only okay as an individual defender not as good right just their overall turnovers as a team they're a very good rebounding team they're a great transition team all of that to me and then the number of threes that they get up to i mean this is now with them going five out of 26 from three i think is now the fourth game they've had where they've been under 30 percent from three on a pretty large number of attempts so 26 is not as many as they've been shooting in the miami series and it might even it might even be their third game with under 20 percent three all of that leads to just a crap load of variance for this team and i felt like that was a big part of this game it, all, all those factors that we talked about most of them really came up negative in this game for the Sixers, other than Embiid's scoring the post or something I want to talk more about later as well. And we did see elements limited as they were of their strengths. I, th- I thought one thing that was interesting was how critical after the game and, and today as well, Embiid was of his own defense. And I mean, you could go in, in different directions with this, but Boston shot 74% at the rim. However, they had fewer attempts than usual. So you can kind of go in both directions there. And he didn't do as much to dissuade certain things things but also we talked about you know the Sixers shooting below 30 percent from three Boston also was 17 of 35 and so some of that was generating better looks than they usually do I th- a, a larger proportion especially of Rozier's shots were very clean and, and he can hit open shots but I expect both of those things to kind of go to the mean and that would help out and, and something that struck me during this game was I thought this the Celtics just dramatically outplayed the Sixers throughout and yet despite all of that it was still 
a 10-point game with like eight minutes to go. And so I expected the Celtics to win. I expected them to, to close it out kind of in the way that they did. But you're sitting there going, well, it wouldn't have to be that different for this to have a different story. Yeah, that's true. I, and I think you mentioned Embiid being critical of his own defense. I agree, but I thought some of the biggest shots were Aaron Baines hitting those two corner threes. And he, although he shot very poorly on those in the regular season, he's looked very comfortable shooting them in the playoffs. I think uh, now with some of their more offensive limitations that there's he's been given the green light to shoot those and then of course Horford's spacing as well caused big problems and those guys combined four out of six from three but I mean there are a bunch of plays where you know Horford operating with the ball out in the perimeter and DHOs and Embiid's he's got to get out there or Horford's just going to shoot that three and there's another play I thought was telling I think it was the end of the third quarter where Baines actually they set a screen for him to take a corner three and Embiid like had to like get through that screen and get out there and guard him and that's just going to be difficult for Joel Embiid and then like with so many centers when you get spaced out all right I can guard you on the perimeter but now can I guard you in the perimeter and also have my effect at the rim but even so they only had 48 percent on two pointers you know that's not ridiculous uh it was just the three-point shooting the 17 out of 35 and certainly I thought they gave up too much in transition the Sixers did they are outscored in transition 13 to 10 which is not going to be good for them in this series uh what else did you have here I thought the biggest tactical mistake in game one and it floored me that it happened was Brett Brown being so comfortable with Redick especially sometimes Bellinelli guarding Jason Tatum Tatum had a fabulous night and the reason why it stunned me was because without Jalen Brown who is hoping that he will be back for game two which would be great want him to be back Boston didn't have that many threats and so they focused to me on putting Simmons who is a capable help defender to be sure putting him on Marcus Smart and so that's kind of the idea of of creating that different strength but Redick could not handle Jason Tatum Tatum got to the line 12 times in this game also did a nice job shooting from the field great game for Tatum I think his best game of the playoffs so far and so I'm just saying they're going well what are you gaining and what are you losing and it was a strange value proposition for me against a Boston team in particular in this game that just didn't have a ton of shot creation it was more just taking advantage of the seams that were created I actually think that this is being slightly overplayed the Redick on Tatum issue because they're switching one through three almost all the time and sometimes even one through four out in the perimeter and i understand the strategy of having simmons be a help defender he was not as effective as a help defender in this game as he often is um and but i mean you're not gonna just not switch because they run a lot of stuff out in the perimeter where two guys screening for a guy coming out of the corner they love boston loves to run guys out of the corner as does philly uh offensively and so are you just gonna not switch that are you gonna have let someone just come around a double screen and not switch that you know i don't think you are and so I, a lot of those plays you know it was it's not like tatum was just oh i'm just gonna back down jj reddick and go one-on-one it's the same stuff that boston does a lot of times where they get an advantage coming out of the corner they're able to reverse the ball uh, extend that advantage get a straight line drive to the rim you know those are a lot of those plays so i'm not sure that you know yeah you might start reddick on smart and smart struggled again offensively although he did have nine assists uh he finally hit his first two three-pointers of the playoffs but was just three of 12 overall two of eight from three certainly took some bad ones again but i'm not sure really that it's going to make that big of a difference now if you want to say hey you shouldn't be playing bellinelli and reddick together now you're, you're more speaking my language here because the, then you're, they're just become too many places to attack uh another thing i think we we have just have not been talking enough about enough in these playoffs because it felt like last series that we were really talking more about some of the bucks problems is just how incredible al horford has been in these playoffs he looks more comfortable than at any time in his career posting up 
another 26 points and four assists for him uh he really just philly should be doing a better job on him to be sure like i mean some of his face-up jumpers they are not they're letting him drive to his right hand on closeouts but he is just shooting the ball extremely well when he gets a mismatch he's going to work in the post driving to the basket he's really is just playing with better offensively than really probably at any time in his career right i've been very impressed so far in these playoffs with his feel of when to attack when to pass the ball finding the reads and horford's always been a smart capable offensive player but i think part it's partially the marriage of this horford with the surrounding talent in the system that it allows him to get into those spots to okay this is a good time to to post up to get the mid-range shot sees the guy leaning in a different direction and he has the freedom to make those decisions which i think a lot of other coaches are uncomfortable with giving to a guy who's 6 10 or taller and al also i mean he gets so many buckets just from being smart you know he just knows when to roll at the perfect time if for some reason they get two on the ball he can roll right in for an alley-oop dunk he did that one you know but that's not generally what he's going to be doing right he's generally going to be popping he's generally going to be out in the perimeter dho looking to get other guys go back door which uh, again he's excellent at as well but he's uh, when the pop is there he'll do that when the roll is there he'll do that and we've been critical of the bucks and also the sixers for giving up too many system buckets but credit needs to go for the celtics for being smart enough to create those system buckets to take advantage of the mistakes and the openings when they arise um another guy i thought we really needed to discuss in in this one even though he again is a relative non-factor on offense only one out of four was semi ojale i I think that he he took a a charge early had a a couple of nice help defense plays he was plus 11 in 22 minutes and and just to get another guy i mean how many teams like miami basically didn't have anyone right i I mean i guess you could say winslow was the only guy that you felt was a good option on simmons well al horford did a really nice job and ojale is just another guy and in transition especially with his strength right you know you'll see a Giannis or ben simmons be able to get going downhill crossover and then kind of bump the guy off the path and go in for a lap well ojale is too strong for that and you saw a couple times they would try and drive and just kind of bounce off ojale and have to give the ball up Uh, so he just to give them another option of a guy who just can't be taken advantage of defensively was huge and then he at least hit one shot from three so that was uh enough to sort of keep the defense honest at least yeah i thought he did well i think we should also spend a little bit more time talking about terry rosier rosier had a, a really nice game overall and there was this big sequence in i think it was the second quarter where he crossed up bellinelli and got into the lane for a jump shot and then the next time down it was in transition they got it got a nice stop and he just pulls up for three nobody really got on him right away and it was a good example beyond all the defensive plays that rosier made of, of really what he can do he could take advantage he is quick and he had this one crazy play where i was convinced it was that i think it was an alley to marcus morris where i was convinced he like just lost the ball but when i watched it another time it seemed like he had control oh and yeah just did a, no he, was yeah, a nice he handle went through play. like three like, guys it was amazing threw up a nice alley-oop to yeah. marcus morris not exactly known as a skywalker that was towards the end of the, the first quarter uh yeah and yeah. i mean if he shoot he's just made himself into a very very good shooter he's played much better of course at home in these playoffs and i think just overall we haven't given the celtics enough credit for how good they've been at home and they do uh have the home court advantage in this series and may have it in the next one depending on what happens if they are able to go through here uh yeah oh i wanted to add, one other thing i wanted to ask you was did you think i i thought about this a couple different times did you think ben simmons played too many minutes in this game you know 42 minutes is a lot i don't think they played did they even play mcconnell at all in the second half if they did it wasn't much i yeah. don't believe they did if, if they did it was really short i don't remember it yeah. being on you the know floor. the boston crowd was so jealous that mcconnell was on the 
other team but uh yeah i mean especially because we were done at the end here i mean simmons was probably on track to play 44 minutes and then the last two it was just enough of a blowout that they waved the white flag maybe part of that was because robert covington had maybe the worst defensive game i can ever remember him having maybe his his shooting he was 0 for 6 his only points were on a three shot foul uh, 0 4 from three he missed a, a couple of open ones and he in the third quarter gave up an open three to rosier when he was guarding him just basically lost him and then gives up an easy backdoor to tatum and but only 27 minutes for him the sixers were actually scoring really well in the fourth quarter and then just couldn't stop the celtics and that's when they had both reddick and bellinelli on the floor and I'm sorry, there are just no situation in which Marco Bellinelli should ever play more minutes than Robert Covington. I don't care how bad of a game Robert Covington is having, unless he's just injured or something, because there's no indication he was. Like, this was coaching recency bias, just sticking with the wrong guy. Robert Covington is a thousand times better player than Marco Bellinelli. And yeah, you know what? You shouldn't be surprised if you can't get any stops with both Reddick and Bellinelli on the floor. They got away with that against Miami. Against this Boston team, it's probably actually a better offensive team, it seems like, than that Miami team was, especially at home and so I, I thought that was a mistake from brown to not go back to covington i don't care how bad of a game he's playing like you're just marco bellinelli is not better than him. it's not like bellinelli was like absolutely on fire offensively in this game and this is i started to say this earlier like this is where the real playoff starts for philly now right like now your weaknesses are actually going to start getting exploited miami just didn't have the firepower to do that and now i think uh that's gonna be a problem so but philly i mean five out of 26 three-point shooting i thought that's a pretty low number for them in part due to good defense from the celtics they missed the in terms of number of attempts 26 times they missed some open ones to be sure but i didn't think that the quality of their three-point looks was amazing but Sharage 0 for 4 covington 0 for 4 Ilyasova 0 for 3 that combined 0 for 11 i mean those are sort of the you assume that reddick and bellinelli are going to shoot it reasonably well and they're always going to have the gravity but those are kind of the variable three-point shooters for this team and Sharage uh, in particular not shooting well was a problem what did you think of the strategy to basically guard Joel Embiid one-on-one under all circumstances I mean he had a wonderful offensive game statistically 31 points 12 of 21 2 of 5 from 3 uh, also had 5 assists but I still thought the strategy was effective for Boston yeah I was surprised I at first I hated it just because Embiid is capable of dominating a one-on-one matchup against damn near everybody but what I grew to appreciate over the course of the game was that I thought it decreased the quality of the looks that every other sixer got and it's sort of the logic I had previously argued years and years ago when Dallas was going against Miami in the 2011 finals that the Heat should have done with Dirk about about, hey you have this really talented offensive player but bet on everybody else not being able to to do much if you don't give them the space to operate and it 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 was interesting I'm not still sure I mean if, if Philly made a higher proportion of their shots and yes they were I would say they were better contested than most threes are so you can get a little bit lower in terms of the percentage there but I liked it more than I expected. I'm still a little dubious. Yeah, you know, it just, they kept throwing it to him and he kept scoring. And when he wasn't scoring, he was getting very good shots. He had a couple of turnovers. I think that if this series takes on a more defensive bent, that they will have have to potentially reevaluate that, right? That, But right now, Embiid going one-on-one, you're only still going to have so much success one-on-one in the post in this day and age. I, I think it would be difficult for him to score better in the post than he did in this game. You have 
have to imagine if they go to the same strategy next game to say that he's going to be even more effective seems unlikely and it really helped to cause problems for the other guys so i i would stick with it if i were boston they did a great job of not fouling even though they had to guard one and that's the other part too like if you start fouling on those plays especially if it's horford who basically i mean it's pretty amazing as many as important as he's been that he basically has not been in foul trouble this entire playoffs so i would stick with it if i were boston and see if you can deny it also just kind of slows philly down a little bit it tires out Embiid. maybe you could say on the defensive end as well where he didn't have one of his best defensive games anything else you want to say about this one no i think that's about it i'm really excited to see where the series goes i picked the sixers in six games but expected boston to win game one just because the i i thought stevens would have a good game plan for it and now we get to see where it goes yeah the last point i wanted to make is transition uh, ben falk had a nice piece on this this morning as we were recording this on how boston was having their center basically sprint back and get to the free throw line to take away some transition right at the rim for simmons and then philly likes to go into some dribble handoffs with covington or reddick out of transition with simmons on the side and then simmons can kind of roll to the rim but they did a pretty good job of taking that away as well but in large part i think due to the missed threes philly off a live rebounds only 83 offensive rating and they ran only 22 percent of the time which is very low i mean this is a great transition team over the course of the season and then for boston they were actually able to run pretty well themselves so that was big we'll have to see how the transition plays out in future games of this series should we do a little news here before we depart yeah there's certainly a couple of things to talk about i, I we could do a couple of quick ones first tyler johnson had surgery to repair the uh the ulnar collateral ligament in his left thumb i mean we saw the contraption oh that he had on of, of the last couple of days of the playoffs the projection is that J- tyler johnson yeah. will be in a cast for six weeks expected to make a full recovery but i'm uh, i'm amazed if that he missed played. it basically like i think the that the ligament that he tore is the one that basically just like keeps your thumb from like flopping down away from your hand and so they just put a piece of tape connecting the end of his thumb to the end of his index finger so that like his thumb wouldn't just like fall off the side of his hand basically like it was just i mean obviously it wouldn't fall off but like just in terms of like having some ability to just like keep that thumb in place i'd never seen anything like that before i mean it might be that kevin love it seems like is going through something pretty similar there uh but yeah so johnson should be back in okc carmelo anthony had a very very interesting exit interview and obviously there's the drama there as far as paul george returning but Mello basically said a number of things his direct quote uh on if he'd ever come off the bench i'm not sacrificing no bench role that's out of the question uh and he also said basically that and i don't know if i buy this because they still did have a whole training camp that because he came here right before training camp he essentially said that like he had to play this role because it wasn't part of their system and maybe that means that that's russell westbrook not passing up but he basically was like well because i got here right at the start of training camp i wasn't a main part of the system he's talked about he said basically i don't think i can be successful in playing a role uh that he had to play this year and so i actually w- was talking to a, a player about his situation the other day and that player was like well you know at some point he's gonna have to decide whether it's gonna be about him or it's gonna be about the team does he want to be the guy who's shooting all the time in the main focus or is he going to acknowledge that if you want to be on a winning team he's not good enough to, to be that guy anymore on a winning team and that you're gonna have to to play a role and so what i asked the player was well you know when he tried to play the role and he couldn't make his shots right can he even do that and so his response was there's a lot of stuff that goes into a shot there's and it seems like based on his comments that Mel was kind of playing was had these thoughts all year 
of you know this isn't supposed to be my role i'm not supposed to just be a spot-up shooter uh and that that just kind of messed with him mentally and he wasn't playing with freedom to be who he wanted to be or, or that there was some resentment and that's why he was missing shots i don't know if i buy that but i mean it, i think there might be something to that in terms of the psychology of the shots that he was taking and what his role was and so everyone was saying the right things billy donovan was like all right he's sacrificed so much blah blah uh but if carmelo isn't going to acknowledge the reality of the player that he is at this point they're going to be in trouble and you know maybe that means a buyout maybe that means a trade uh but you know really that is that whole part is secondary to what happens with paul george and then maybe if paul george leaves then they'll just need carmelo anthony to be more of a scorer next year and he'll be happier in his role whether he'll be effective or not i suppose we will have to see but i thought all that is just very very interesting yeah, I, I felt the same way, and it's small sample size theater to be sure, and there I have issues with why this is as small sample as it is, but so Mello only played three minutes per game without Russ on the floor, and his usage rate went from 21.5% to 39.4, and his efficiency actually did go up. It went up from 50 to about 55% true shooting, and you know that's not as big a jump as you would hope, considering he was rough yeah. when Westbrook was on the floor, and this is small sample size, but if that's the way Melo felt. I'm I'm sure he expressed that to people in coaching staff. It always made more sense to me to kind of do the, I've termed this the stagger plus before of like, what I mean by a stagger plus is that guys play together, but you make it a goal to separate them as much as you can to do that with Melo and Westbrook. Then they could have had these competent minutes, but they also had the balancing that I think Paul George wanted Paul George time too. And so maybe they prioritize yeah. that a little bit more and they won't have to do that theoretically if Paul well, George leaves. But what this really gets back to is how did the team actually play during mellow time you know like that's a and, and they actually ended up finding a with units with none of those three players on the floor that did better as as mm-hmm. bench units as it turned out and that's because mellow while he himself may have scored a little bit better the team didn't score that well and they didn't defend that well and obviously i mean that's another thing you know like yeah. really you know if mellow were able to I mean, what he really needs to do is get into great shape so he doesn't get killed on defense every single possession in close games try to fix it so he can be a, a, at least a passable switch defender and then work on his spot up shooting you know but it does not sound like that is something that he is remotely interested in uh more drama here and i am uh happy to discuss this on my own out of san antonio uh, ramona shelburne and mike wright had a great long piece on Kawhi. uh i thought the most interesting part to come out of this because i've long maintained that the injury is the biggest issue here right and whether he's going to be healthy enough to play or not even in the future is going to be the issue so Kawhi's camp apparently believed that the issue stemmed from a number of quad contusions that he suffered going back to 2016 he missed a few games over the last couple of years with the quad contusion and what that caused was basically I think the term is ossification where the quad muscle itself started to develop issues and then that is what caused the tendon soreness because basically there's just this tightness in the quad this weakness in the quad from the multiple contusion and the spurs said you know no basically it's a tendon issues and so it seems like reading between the lines that when he was cleared it's hey your tendon is now healthy and Kawhi's like no well the muscle itself is not healthy that needs to continue to be rehab and for me i almost always side with the player i can't rem- remember a time that i didn't on these sorts of issues like they know their body these guys are generally competitors to get to the nba especially a guy like Kawhi who's been a tireless worker throughout his career and a, a great competitor to be the type of guy that he is for him to say hey you know what i don't feel 
right and yeah you know what if the spurs and people are like oh the spurs medical staff is so good just trust them they have this great great history like uh, like what kind of a guy would just leave the spurs medical staff and seek an outside opinion well what would you do if doctors were telling you that you're fine and it still hurts obviously you're going to seek a second opinion because they're not telling you why it hurt are you supposed to just pretend that it doesn't hurt so he's been in new york you know there's a more detail i recommend reading the whole piece uh, to be sure also some of the reporting on just the, the nature of Kawhi's camp his agent uh, mitch frankel some rancor between Kawhi and the organization seemed to start when his partner brian elfus left uh Kawhi appears to be frankel's only client at this point they were trying to start this agency they had some football players but now it appears that frankel is just operating completely on his own and meanwhile his uncle uh has been trying to find a way to start a marketing arm at other agencies based on Kawhi, which the agencies were interested in it. and again I, i'm this is just a summary i recommend reading the whole piece to, to get a sense of it so uh all of this doesn't really shed a ton of light on, on things going into the future nobody knows whether the spurs are going to offer that designated player veteran extension or not presumably everyone's going to have to be convinced that he's healthy to do that there are also a few rumors in the story which i'm not going to put a ton of stock in i mean we've heard a couple of these now that seem to come from other executives one of them in a different story was Kawhi doesn't want to have to practice as at hard under pop another one was that the spurs have fears and this is coming from another executive on another team it sounds like the spurs have fears that he wants to go to either one of the la teams the knicks or the sixers again i don't know how much stock to put in that and of course those teams cannot offer him the designated player veteran extension and certainly cannot offer it anytime soon if he were to be traded he would have to wait six months before he could sign an extension and even then the extension wouldn't be anywhere near the amount uh because it would just be the 120 percent increase off of what he's making now which is less money so that's that's not really a starter either and so the spurs are still in such a good economic condition position if they offer that that it still is difficult for me to imagine him not taking it it's just a kind of the balls in their court and the balls in Kawhi's court to see whether he can get healthy or not uh and then we'll really see where the rubber meets the road with this situation uh anything else we need to talk about here yeah just briefly the suns have removed interim head coach jay triano from consideration for the head coaching spot so we don't know exactly who it's going to be but it'll be a change and that's you know that's notable i'll also plug my offseason preview for the dallas mavericks which i think is an under the radar super interesting offseason so i wrote about that and kind of the balancing of 2018 versus 2019 when they could have as much as like 75 million in space if a bunch of things happen i lay out what those are and so they're offseason then i'm writing you know a bunch of them so there there's probably going to be at least three per week every week at the athletic and they already have a backlog of them i'm actually writing the bucks one right now so we'll see when that one goes up too all right and we'll probably be getting into our off-season previews i would guess tomorrow uh, since there's only one game tomorrow night and twitter nba show will return tomorrow for utah and houston we've been off the last couple of days but uh, we'll be back now that my sanity has been restored and we will talk to y'all then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.